So this morning we're going to be talking about what it means to be a Christian, what the calling of a Christian is, and, and uh, we're going to be talking about the book of Ephesians a lot. It's, it's probably my favorite book in the Bible. It's like a holy of holies to me. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up knowing the Lord. I grew up knowing how to serve the Lord. I grew up, it was expected of me to go into the ministry from a young age. My, my Christian grandparents were praying for me. My Christian parents were praying for me. So I grew up knowing the Lord, knowing how to talk and how to walk and all the things about the Lord. But there was a problem. And the problem was I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I thought that I was a good kid, a good person, a great, you know, young man who's going to serve the Lord. And I had something called self-righteousness. And I thought that it, God would be impressed with, with how godly and spiritual and how much I served you. Um, so, so I thought that I was impressing God with how I was serving, impressing God with, with um, who I was and character and all that kind of stuff. And I was 19 and in Bible college, and, and because I could talk the talk and walk the walk, and it looked like I knew the Lord, they, they put me in charge of a Bible study, and I was teaching the college students at 19, um, was the, the college pastor, we'll use the air quotes for that, um, unofficial title, I was, I was the pastor of the college students, and I got to Ephesians chapter 1, and, and it's, in Ephesians chapter 1 there's some difficult doctrine. And so I, I went to Ephesians chapter 1 and, and uh, taught this sermon. And, and I, I remember I went and, and like studied a lot more than I usually did. And I have notes. And I came and I taught this message. And it was horrible. Like literally confused people who had no idea that this was a confusing chapter of the Bible. They got really confused. And, and so, of course, I was broken and, and hurt and sad and lonely and all, all those kind of things. And thought I was a failure. And, and I went back and read... Um, my, my, you know, text next week is Ephesians chapter 2. I went back and read it, and that was the moment that I say um, that God met me in a profound way. The moment that I understood the gospel really, truly for the first time, that there's nothing I can do to impress God. And, and the moment that I got to know the Lord in a real and personal way. And then the next week, the people who, who came back after that awful sermon... Um, they, they had seen a revolution happen in, in my personal life, and, and God started um, changing me. And literally, I was in Ephesians chapter 2 for about three months after that. Just every day I'd read it, and it, it had transformed my life from the inside out. We'll get to read that here in a minute. But um, the book of Ephesians has two halves. So Paul sets it up. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is God's blessings. God's done all these things. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, since God's done those things, this is how you should live. So chapters 1, 2, 3 is if or since. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6 is then. So he sets it up. It's the wind up. And then chapter 4, where we're going to be today, is the pitch. This is um, chapters 1, 2, 3. You're climbing up. You're getting um, up the roller coaster. It's going slow. And then chapter 4 begins with, uh, a very simple and profound word that you read all over the Bible, therefore. I mean, because of this, since this happened, then you should live like this. Or since this has gone on, then we do this. And so there's a therefore. And every time there's a therefore, we need to check to see what it's there for. So I want to go over for you for a second all the blessings and all the things that, that uh, Paul sets up in Ephesians 
chapters 1, 2, and 3. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we pray for your presence right now, Lord God. We want you here. We want you to be speaking. We don't care what this kid from California is going to say, Lord God. We care what we're going to read in your word. We care how you're going to transform our lives from the inside out, Lord God. We pray that you'd continue your process of calling, of anointing, of changing hearts, changing lives, Lord God. We pray for the saints that are in this room, people who have already trusted in you, Lord God. We pray that they're edified and equipped this morning, Lord God. We pray for the people who are in this room who don't know you, Lord God. We pray for your spirit to be ministering to them, Lord God. We pray that you would draw them to repentance, Lord God, and faith in you, Lord God. We have joy here this morning. Your presence is here this morning. We are standing during worship, Lord God. We will build our lives upon your love. It is a firm foundation, Lord God. You are unstoppable, Lord God. We mean the lyrics to the songs we sing, Lord God. And we pray that we'd leave here with those songs stuck in our heads, Lord God. That, that you, would, you would teach us, that you would show us that, Lord God, that we'd be singing of your goodness, of your glory, of your grace, Lord God, and that you would transform our lives from the inside out. In Jesus' name, every person here say, Amen. Amen. All right, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us we are blessed with every spiritual blessing under heaven. He tells us we are chosen before the foundation of the world, that we are predestined for adoptions as sons and daughters. He tells us that, we, that God makes us accepted in the Beloved. That means we are accepted in, in the fellowship of God's people. In Him we have the redemption through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. He makes known to us the mystery of His will. God, God tells us what His will is for our lives. In Him we obtain an inheritance. That is a heavenly inheritance. Let's pause there for a second. God created us in perfection. He had this idea for what He wanted His people to be. He copied Himself. He, he made us in His image. And, he, and we know the story. Adam and Eve were walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden in perfection, knowing God. But He put a tree in that garden. He didn't have to put the tree in the garden. He could have put it on the polar other end of the world. But He put it in the garden because He loves humanity and He wants them to reflect Himself and have free will. And so... People, human beings, we have free will because we're created in God's image. And then he makes known to us the mystery of his will. After the fall, he's still calling people to repentance. He's still calling people to walk with him. He's calling every single person in this room. Uh, Paul writes in to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He writes two books to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And he writes in 1 Timothy 4.1, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. And he gives this, this exhortation to Timothy. But at the end of the exhortation, he says, fulfill your ministry. I believe and I know it to be true from experience and from the word of God that every person in this room has a specific calling, a specific walk, a specific group of people that they have influence over, a, spe uh, a specific family member that might not walk with the Lord um, they know people that don't walk with the Lord. They're in a specific job setting, whether it's Starbucks or the mine or, or construction here in Tooele or, or wherever it may be. You might commute to Salt Lake City, but you've got a specific people that are around you. Nobody else has the influence, the, the calling, the, and the specific talents and gifts that you were given. God makes known to us the mystery of his will. We'll get into that when we get into chapter 2 a little bit. In Him we obtain a heavenly inheritance. In Him we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He saved us while we were dead in our sins. We were saved by grace through faith, and it is a free gift. 
That's Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It's the second Bible verse I ever memorized. I say it's second only to John 3:16 in importance. Go memorize this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself, it is a free gift from God. Not of works, least any man should boast. What that says is, so we have an understanding of, of our world. You know, I grew up in a, in a home where if I was bad, I got spanked. If I did good, maybe it was ice cream, I got rewarded, maybe it was a compliment. You know, I don't know what it was, but if I did good, I got a reward. If I did bad, I got spanked. And then I, I, I went to school. And if I paid attention in class and did my homework, I got a good grade. If I didn't talk and cause a lot of disruption, I got good marks. I didn't get called in with a PTA meeting or anything. It was good merit. And then I got a job, and I found out if you try hard and work hard at your job, your bosses recognize you, and you're up for a promotion. You're up for a raise. You're going to be hired on for more hours, all these things. And, I'm, and I understood this, this. You know, If I try hard, if I do good, I'm going to be accepted, and I'm going to be advanced. I, I need to say this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a free gift from God. There's no amount of working. There's no amount of toil. There's no amount of trying hard that you can do to make God love you more than he already does. There's no amount of working, trying, straining, or, or walking the walk that can make you deserve God's grace more. You don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's grace Chris doesn't deserve God's grace. The, uh, the best definition we have for grace is it's unmerited. That means there's nothing you can do to deserve it. And, and that's the, the, the verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And then we get Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This, this incredible blessing that Paul sets up for us. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you catch that? We are God's workmanship. We're being crafted. We're being molded. I've heard some people compare it to a poem. I've heard some people compare it to a masterpiece of carpentry. Whatever you want to picture that, that, that makes you feel better. I'm a man, so I'd, I'd prefer to be carpentry. Um, you might prefer to be a poem. It's up to you. That's open for interpretation. Um, but God is working in you a perfect image. God is working in you something. He's got a plan in mind when he's working on you. He created you. You are in his image. And, and the best you could ever hope to be is the way that God created you. So you submit to his will. And he's got, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He has an idea before it even happens of something that he has for you individually today to walk in. As we get farther into chapter 2, the blessings that Paul lays out. We were once foreigners, aliens from the faith. We were made citizens by Jesus' blood. He reconciles us to God through His body on the cross. We are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We understand the mystery of Christ through the Gospel, which people in other ages did not know. We have this blessing that we live in a time when when the, the grace of God and, and the Bible is for all people. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. And Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. Paul sets up this, this incredible three chapters where he's just laying out every blessing. And the, the, the language Paul uses in the New King James translation is, Every spiritual blessing under heaven you have been given. Ephesians chapter 1. 
And then we get to chapter 4, and that's where our text is for today. All these blessings line up, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in the hope of the calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fulfill all things. He himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Father, we know your word is holy as we break it apart and, and explain it this morning, Lord God. We pray that it does not fall on deaf ears, Lord God, that it is correctly understood, Lord God, and that we are true to what you're doing in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So, Paul, because of all these blessings that he just laid out in the first chap- three chapters of these books that I just listed for you real quick, beseech you. He's arguing. He's, he's trying to convince you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. We understand grace. We understand that we don't deserve it and there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or make us deserve His grace. He, he in, in my mind, you know, there was a song, Reckless Love. It, it, it painted a picture of God who, who loves us incredibly and to our minds it seems reckless. To my mind, it seems like He paid way too much for the lemon. Um, that is me. Because I... I have poor faith and and, um, and sinful all the time. But God made this investment, and the investment that God made in me is that Jesus died on the cross for me. And so, I I know it's 2020 almost. It's going to be 2020. It's the 20s again. I think 100 years ago was was, uh, like Great Gatsby era. And and that's just absolutely incredible to me that that this is the time I'm living in. But it's 2020, and we hear so much on, on media, on the news, about young people who are going through depression and anxiety and, and thoughts of suicide. The number one um, group of people on the planet today who are committing suicide is middle-aged men. And you'd think it'd be the young people. But this is what the people are walking through. In Paul's day, it was idolatry. It was actually going and worshiping temple um, idols and, and things like that. In our day... The spirit, the, the evil that is in our world is, is this depression, anxiety, and, and the false temples and all that kind of stuff is still going on today. But, but it has such a foothold in our culture. And if you're someone who's struggling with self-worth, I, I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm just so lowly and, and uh, God doesn't really love me and I'm not really worth anything. The value that God assigns to you is the price that he paid for you. And that's the blood of Jesus on the cross. And we know, that, we know that God did not stay in the grave. We know that He rose again. And so, in all things, we, with Him, are more than conquerors for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And, and so let's move on in the text. I, the prisoner of the Lord, that means Paul, 
calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. I love the names that Paul gives himself here. We know that he's writing this book from prison. He's in Rome. He's on house arrest. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel um, and stirring up riots. He's appealed to Caesar. He's being taken to Rome. As you get further along with Pastor Chris in the book of Acts, which is a phenomenal book, and it'll um, really change your hearts and lives. It'll, It'll change you from the inside out as you go through this book. You'll see Paul in prison um, about the time when he writes this letter. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So, we don't deserve it, but act like you're worthy of it. The uh, Paul writes the book of, I want to say it's Timothy. Timothy or Titus, or it's First Peter. Sorry, I digress. Um, it's, it's in there somewhere. Um, but he says, he quotes the Old Testament. I want to say it's Peter. Be holy because I'm holy. I've called, as you who have called you is holy, be holy as I am holy. And, and I look at that and I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking, and I can't even capture God in my mind as a, as a conception. I can't visualize him. I can't think of how big or how wide or how tall or how powerful he is. And, and, and he's holy. He's like nothing else. He's different. He's set apart. He's God. And he says, like me, you're supposed to be. And how do you, how do you even start? Where do you start? Do you start on page one of the Bible? Um, uh, I don't know where to start. How do I be holy like God? You, I'm not. He empowers you to do so. You have his Holy Spirit living inside you. You have the blood of Jesus with you. You're worshiping the Father God. And so be holy is just an action, just a state. Start out your morning with the Lord. Be praying constantly. You know that verse, pray without ceasing? If you go into the original language, it, it's not exactly pray without ceasing. They just had to translate it that way to make it make sense in our language. But it's the same language they use um, when to describe <clears throat> as natural as <clears throat> is for you. That's how natural prayer is supposed to be. And that's what that verse means. So he, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You've been given the blood of Jesus as a free gift. Deserve it. Do everything you can. You're not going to, but walk in it. With all lowliness, gentleness, with long-suffering. And now we're getting into a section. Paul's going to start talking about relationships. He's going to talk about how we interact with one another. I believe God created mankind for fellowship because He wanted to be with us. He wanted to be in fellowship with us. He wanted to walk with us in the cool of the garden. We've already talked about Adam and Eve. But He created us in His image. And he wants to have a relationship. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he reconciled mankind to him. Is because he wants this relationship. And so we're all created in Jesus' image. In, in the image of God. And we're all created to, to walk with one another. We're all created to have relationships. Uh, I'm blessed this morning to see church full. I was thinking, you know, it's the Sunday after Christmas, so... So uh, in between Christmas and New Year's, there will probably be an empty church service. It will be a little bit easier for me. And I show up and everybody just keeps pouring in. I'm like, oh, <laughs> full church. But it's a blessing. You guys are here on the Sunday after Christmas. All of you guys. It looks like you guys are going to have to go to a second service here soon. You're here not forsaking the assembly. You guys are here in an assembled body of Christ. This is, this is how God wants. God does not have this walk this calling this this life for you to be on your own 
He wants you to be surrounded by brothers and sisters who are going to build you up. And so he goes into relationships here with all lowliness. That's humility. I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. You, um, Jesus was the humblest person who's ever walked the face of this earth. And he's God Almighty and he made everything. And everybody has talent because of him. And he's the most humble. We've got to be humble like Jesus. Gentleness. This is the hardest one for me. Um, I'm a Bible college director, which means I'm a babysitter of 18-year-old boys. Um, and so I'm the guy who does the room checks. I'm the guy who's like, oh, we got to talk to this guy over here. It doesn't smell like he's put on deodorant in a little while. Um, and so I'm the guy who has those conversations. I'm the guy who you haven't been doing your homework. If you don't do your homework, you're going to be kicked out of Bible college. I have those conversations on a daily basis. That's, that's my job, 9 to 5, um, is having those conversations. And, and there's a verse in the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4, again, um, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And, and for some reason, early in my ministry, I latched on to rebuke, okay? God's called me to tell you how you're living wrong. And, and then um, Pastor Gerald actually had to rebuke me for being so rebukey. Um, and, and so uh, I had this meeting. It's like, you, you need to be gentle. And, and he pointed out this verse that's in James. If any of you brethren are overtaken with a um, problem with any iniquity, any sin, let you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. At least yourselves be concerned. And he showed me that. And so, so I'm here confessing to you that that's, that's the hardest one to me. I'm not, I'm not so gentle, but God's called us to be gentle um, with long-suffering suffering long it's more than patience it's not the word patience it's a different word it means long suffering so many times we we get in situations and i i counsel young people all the time who are sent out to various um internships and, and they get to an internship at a church somewhere in southern idaho and massachusetts and florida and they call me david um the other people at this church don't like me and i think i'm just going to go start my own church and i'm like you're 19 years old i don't think that's going to work out too well in the way you got it in your mind but but god's Put you in a situation. It doesn't matter who you are in this room or if you're on the phone, if I'm on the phone with this person. God's put everybody in a situation. And He hasn't you know, given you a silver bullet that kills all your problems. He, you're, you're living normal life. And actually, it's going to be more difficult now because you're living according to a moral standard given by God. And you're living in a world that is inherently, just by itself, hostile to this moral standard. And, and so... Life is more difficult when you walk with the Lord. It's, it's not a silver bullet that kills all your problems. And so, we're going to talk about relationships, but one of them, what Paul just laid out is, it suffers long. Um, you're called to be loving to your brethren. And we know that 1 Corinthians 13, um, I was going to quote it, but it, it left me, sorry. But uh, love suffers long and is kind. If you love someone, you'll suffer long for them. I've been married for seven months, and um, it, I, I'm going to change the message right now to a marriage message because of my wealth of experience that I have to sh share with you guys. But it's incredible. My wife and I will have a disagreement or an argument, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm correct. I know it. But she's more correct than I am. I, I don't understand how it works out, but, but it always works out that way. And, and I just learned recently that she's going to be right, and I'm going to, to just walk in it. But love, because I love her, I will 
I'm not going to say the word suffer. Um, <laughs> but I will put up with anything because I love her. And you're called to love your brothers and sisters. You're called to love the people in this room. The book of James says one of the most scathing and hard and difficult and scary, and, and it convicts me, verses in the entire Bible. He who says that he loves God but hates his brother is a liar and the truth of God is not in him. That, that condemns me. Uh, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you right now. If you say you love your brother and you have any kind of animosity in your heart, you're a liar. Love suffers long. And so we're called to be long-suffering. And then let's get into this next piece. Long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So he's saying, keep unity, endeavor, try your hardest, give everything you've got to keep it. That's what the word endeavor means. Endeavoring to do what? To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Just to walk in peace and to keep the unity of the Spirit. And then he makes an argument using the character of God. And we'll read this whole chunk right here. 